Hey, welcome to the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Glad you found us for another season. Really hope you enjoyed the guests that we have today. Take a listen. Reach out if you want some more information. Enjoy the time. Enjoy the learn. Hopefully you get better from this. The Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast is a big fan of cookies. I'm excited to announce the podcast now has an official cookie sponsor, Texas Treaties. Texas Treaties is a Dallas-based custom cookie company that can design and decorate any shape and color combo you can think of. Not only do they look amazing, they taste great also. Texas Treaties is offering Dallas area listeners a special 10% off promo. Use the code podcast at checkout. Link to order will be in the show notes. If you are in the market for fine men's wear, i.e. suits, shirts, ties, etc., you need to check out Etiquette Dawn. I personally have several pieces from him, and every time I wear them, I feel confident, well-dressed, and I receive many compliments. Etiquette Dawn is a truly custom apparel company that will have you look, looking like a sharp-dressed man. Check out www.etiquettedawncustomapparel.com for more information. Make sure to follow them on Instagram and TikTok at Etiquette Dawn as well. All coaches have their go-to drink for waking up and getting their energy boosted. For me, that's coffee. I prefer black coffee, so that means buying high-quality beans so that I can grind and brew them at home and enjoy my cups of happiness. Viking Coffee is my go-to company for a monthly subscription of great variety of beans that produce excellent cups time after time. Podcast listeners, use the code COFFEEWITHNOONAN, all one word, for a 10% discount off. Check out www.vikingcoffeeco.com for more details and to order the official coffee of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Drink coffee, work hard. In this episode, we talk about nutrition for the student athlete. I am joined by registered dietitians Amy Goodson and Christy King, as well as my co-host, Missy Mitchell-McBeth. Amy Goodson is a registered dietitian and certified specialist in sports dietetics. She focuses on overall health, wellness, and sports nutrition. Amy has worked with the Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, TCU Athletics, Ben Hogan Sports Medicine, Dairy Farmers of America, and more. She's the author of the Sports Nutrition Playbook, a play-by-play on sports nutrition for athletes, parents, coaches, and trainers. It's portable. Flipbook size is perfect for a gym bag or weight room. Amy is also the co-author of Swim, Bike, Run, Eat, a nutrition contributor to retired NFL player Donald Driver's book, The 3D Body Revolution. In addition, she owns RD Career Jumpstart, a business designed to help dietetic students, interns, and new registered dietitians determine and take the steps necessary to reach their dream career. You can find her on Instagram at amyg.rg at Twitter, at Amy Goodson RD, and find her book and many other helpful resources on her website, amygoodsonrd.com. Christy King is currently a senior dietitian at Texas Children's Hospital and a clinical instructor for Baylor College of Medicine. Christy has been a registered dietitian for almost 20 years and has spent many of those years working with pediatrics and adolescent patients. She has an undergraduate degree from Florida State University and a master's in public health 
from the University of Texas. She has also served as a nutrition source for many media outlets. If you want to contact Christy for more information, follow her on Twitter at nutrition underscore king or email her klking at texaschildrens.org. Our co-host needs no introduction. Missy Mitchell Macbeth is the head strength conditioning coordinator at Byron Nelson High School in Trophy Club, Texas. She is also the founder and owner of Safe Iron LLC. She is an outstanding coach, resource, and friend. Make sure to follow her on Twitter and check out her website, safeirontraining.com. Enjoy today's episode. Learn some stuff about nutrition and making yourself a better, well-rounded student-athlete, coach, and anybody else listening. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, we're actually going to do a really special deal. I have a co-host today. This will be... I think her third appearance on the podcast that is the one and only Missy Mitchell McBeth head strength conditioning coach at Byron Nelson high school. We are joined by two amazing people who have uh, graciously taken time out to talk with us regarding uh, student athlete nutrition, uh, Amy Goodson and a good friend of mine, Christy King. So Amy, if you'll, uh, kind of introduce who you are, what you do, and uh, all sorts of good stuff like that. So my name is Amy Goodson. I'm a sports dietitian, have been a dietitian for over 15 years now. I like to say I work peewee to pro. So in the world of sports from young kids, probably hundreds, thousands, probably now of middle school and high school athletes. It's been about 10 and a half years in college sports, working for TCU athletics, and then have worked across the board in professional sports, lengthy amounts of time in the NFL and major league baseball, and then dabbled between USA track and field and professional hockey and soccer and tons of PGA tour golfers, lots of endurance athletes. So definitely have been fortunate to have a a career path, let's say, that has really given me a lot of experience. Uh, and a lot, what's cool is like it's different, like different ages, but in the same sport. And so you can see how that changes from a ninth grade football player to a college football player to a professional football player. So I've spent the majority of my career in sports nutrition and then as well as nutrition communication. So talking, educating people on sports nutrition and then also general nutrition as well. And Christy? Yeah, so I am Christy King, and I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. Uh, Let's see. I also have been a dietitian for almost 20 years, which is a little frightening. But um, I have been blessed to go the pediatric adolescent um, medicine realm in my career. So I work at Texas Children's Hospital and see a wide variety of patients, um, some with very complicated disorders, um, some with general wanting to eat, eat better and, um, you know, help them live a healthier lifestyle. And um, with that, I happen to see quite a few of adolescent athletes. Um, and most of my athletes that I end up seeing actually have some sort of underlying chronic medical condition. Um, whether it's a GI condition or cardiac condition um, or an endocrine condition. So I kind of have a different perspective as far as, um, you know, taking care of our, of our, you know, teenage athletes and making sure that they're properly fueled. Um, And then um, for the healthy athletes, I defer to people like Amy 
who uh, that's that's her that's her jam. So I, you know, I respect her peewee to pro in all aspects. <laughs> awesome. And my co-host, anything you want to say before we get rolling? Um, just that. Amy and I know each other from TCU. That's kind of how um, I love that you and Christy have a like personal connection. Um, Amy and I worked together for seven years at TCU. That's kind of how I connected the two of you. Um, so I can speak volumes as to her qualifications and all that. So I'm really excited to hear from her tonight. Um, I know a lot of her, a lot of the things that she presents, but I'm sure um, she's going to bring something new to the table tonight that's going to help me with my athletes. Awesome. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to hear Amy speak at the Region 2 NHSSCA uh, clinic that you had at your school. And um, the idea popped in for this episode. And I I asked you, I was like, well, you, you know, who do you think I should get? And she said, Amy. And I was like, well, do you think she'll come on? So we reached out. She said, yes. Christy and I met through the, through a mutual friend, through the Florida State Alumni Association in Houston. Um, and we have just been Facebook friends. We don't actually have a lot of conversation. Of course, you, you Chrissy, had taken a little bit of a hiatus from social media, so that has a little bit to do with it. But then I reached out to you um, just because I wanted to have that um, medical perspective when it comes to, uh, to things, you know, not just the general um, things of like, Hey, make sure you eat good and whatnot, but like the deeper dive into certain things. So I'm excited to, to hear both of you guys and your perspectives tonight. So we'll kind of start with like a little bit of a softball question, a little easier one. And I'll start with you, Amy. Um, what are the things that we need young athletes to do a better job of besides just eating period. Cause the worst thing they do is they don't eat um, for a variety of reasons, but what's, what's the thing that they can do kind of like if they, if, if they were to listen to this episode one day, then the next day they can turn around and make a small marginal change. So I would say three things that I think are key that athletes can tap into and really understand at any age Number one is living by what I call the 80-20 rule. I preach this night and day to adult athletes, youth athletes, all of the and regular people, which means that 80% of the time you are looking to fuel your body with nutrient-rich foods. So whole grains, lean proteins, healthy fats, fruits, vegetables, dairy, and really get those foods that are going to fuel performance because lots of athletes different athletes can take in a lot of calories, but it's the quality of those calories that really leads to quality performance. So 80% of the time, really trying to drive home, doing what you're supposed to do. And then 20% of the time, allowing time to have pizza and a milkshake with your friends. Like <clears throat> that's real life to an athlete. There's birthday parties, there's gatherings. And it's not to say that an athlete can't ever do that. They should be able to, but it's just that some of those foods should be eaten less often than more and more of the nutrient rich foods eaten more often. So number one, live by the 80-20 rule. Number two, as you said, eat often. So I like to liken sports nutrition to putting gas in a car. And the more you move a 
car around, the more you drive it, wherever you're going, the more often you need to put gas in it. And for student athletes, they're moving their body a lot, both at practices, at lifts, many of them play club sports outside of school. Plus they're going to school, walking around, carrying backpacks, climbing stairs. And so the more you move your body, the more fuel you need to put in it. And so fueling often basically to the same aspect of putting gas in a car. So eating often becomes really, really important to make sure you stay well fueled. So number two, eating often. And then number three, really focus on trying to get carbohydrate, a high fiber carbohydrate, be that a grain, so bread, bagel, English muffin, pasta, rice, cereal, oatmeal, fruit could be also classified in that category with a protein. So protein could be any animal foods, meat, chicken, fish, you know, pork, dairy foods like milk, cheese, yogurt, eggs, some of the plant-based proteins like nuts and seeds and legumes and beans, trying to get that combination of a carbohydrate and a protein. Carbohydrate gives their body adequate energy. Protein helps it stick with them a little bit longer and really stabilize their blood sugar levels, which is really important because your energy levels follow your blood sugar levels. So if your blood sugar is all over the place, your energy is going to be all over the place. If athletes can get the hang of carbon protein often throughout the day, they're going to have a much more stable blood sugar and a much more sustained energy level, which ultimately is going to make them feel better and practice better and play better when they're at that, whether it's on a field, in a weight room, on a track, whatever that is. So 80-20 rule, eating often and then focusing on high quality carbohydrate and lean proteins at all of their meals and snacks would be like my top three take-homes. Awesome. Pretty straightforward and simple. Christy, what do you, what do you think in terms of like, what is something that we, that the athlete could do like directly after listening to an episode like this and apply it to their daily life? I think, I think the main thing is just to start. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest things with our teenagers is that is they have difficulty actually putting into it. Like they may have the knowledge that you can sit there and talk to them about it, but actually having them put it into action is um, another story. So I think really just focusing on one thing and starting, um, make that a goal and then realize if they do that, then they can advance to the next thing. Um, sometimes I think a lot of times, you know, you might hear somebody talk and you get very super into it and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Right. I know, like, at least for me, when I go to nutrition conferences, I'm sure Amy's probably the same way. You like hear all of these great ideas and you get super pumped up and excited. And then you get back to real life and you're like, I can't implement any of this. Right. Or like you only get one thing implemented. Um, so I think pick one thing that they really want to start with, whether it's, um, you know, hydration or it's 80, 20 rule. And then once they conquer that 80, 20 rule, they can move on to the next thing and then they can move on to the next thing. So that way they feel like they're actually accomplishing something, um, and realizing that it, it's going to be a marathon, not necessarily a sprint in order to reach your optimal, um, you know, nutrition and lifestyle for performance. Yeah, I love, love that. You know, you get fired up about doing something and coaches and teachers are the same way. Like you go to a clinic or a conference or a PD and you hear all these great ideas, but then you have to evaluate and assess 
what can we truly implement ASAP? Um, and so I think you guys definitely gave both great answers right there to start off with. Can I jump in with a question for each of them? Yes. So we all know that convenience is huge for athletes. And if it's not convenient, they're probably not going to do it for my, so my question for Amy, um, and then Christy, I'll have a follow-up one for you. Question for Amy is with your carbon protein pairings, um, just give us a couple of ideas for things that they can carry um, quickly and easily in a backpack. And then Christy, yours was a lot about basically shaping habits. So kind of some of your early action steps to get them moving. Okay. So I would say easy on the go, throw it in your backpack, throw it in your bag. Doesn't have to be kept hot or cold, which is key. <laughs> Number one thing is a beef jerky and a granola bar or a beef jerky and a fruit. Super simple to get your protein and your carbs. They can stay room temperature, not going to be a problem. You could do peanut butter crackers or peanut butter and a granola bar, like the little cups of peanut butter could be a great one to get a little bit of protein and healthy fat with a carb. <clears throat> Trail mix is a great option that has nuts and dried fruit. Ideally, if you can throw in a little bit of those whole grain kind of higher protein granolas, that's great. You can put that in a baggie, snack on it throughout the day, keep it in your backpack, keep it in your locker. Any of those would be good options even protein bars, protein bar and a fruit. So a protein bar that's going to have both carbohydrate and protein, throw that in with a banana, super simple ways that you can just keep stuff with you. Kind of to Christy's point, a lot of it is just having a plan <laughs> and thinking in advance. A lot of younger athletes like really rely on their parents to think for them. And if they're not doing it for them, then it doesn't get done. I had a sister that played volleyball, great volleyball player, went to college playing volleyball. And my mother packed her athletic bag, made her lunch and made her breakfast every single day. And I, when she went to college, I thought she was going to die because I was like, she doesn't know how to do anything. And she was totally fine. And I asked her one day, I said, well, I thought you weren't going to make it. Like, why are you doing it all now? And she said, well, why would I do it at home? Mom did it. And so that was like a really unique thing to think about. I was like, huh, true points. So for a lot of kids, you know, they'll do their due diligence doing so many other things, but they won't think to throw a granola bar in their backpack. So I think a lot of that is taking some personal responsibility as a young athlete and deciding if I want to be a great athlete, I need to go through all the steps. And all the steps means showing up to a workout or a game or a practice well-fueled. And that takes a little bit of planning, not a ton of effort if you really think about it, but a little bit of planning to have those foods with you. Yeah, and, and to answer your question as far as the habits, I think um, Amy hit the nail on the head there in the fact that one, a lot of parents tend to do a lot of these things for the kids. And the thing that I always talk to my student well, I say student because they're teenagers, but athletes about is discipline. So they're in sports, right, to, to learn athleticism and teamwork, but they're also there to learn discipline. Um, I think about myself, I grew up doing kind of a, an artistic sport. Um, so I, drew, I grew up twirling competitively, dancing competitively, um, ended up twirling at Florida State. So I have a different perspective of it. I learned discipline and it was my responsibility to put my clothes together, have my shoes ready, you know, by the front door in the morning. And so I think this is a great time for parents as, 
you know, hopefully this opens up a line of communication between the parent and the, and the student or child athlete, um, you know, what are they going to be responsible for and hold each other accountable for it? Um, Maybe it's writing out a schedule and putting it on the refrigerator, writing out what needs to be done. Um, You know, your lunch needs to be packed. You need a protein, a grain, um, a fruit, a dairy source. Um, List those, you know, put them on the fridge. Um, That way your athlete can just go, check, 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 check. I got that. But yet they're doing it on their own. So they have a sense of ownership and, um, you know, they're going to be more likely to continue to do it once they kind of have that, you know, the 21 day habit thing. Once that's kind of, you know, it just becomes habit for them, they'll know exactly what to grab. Um, So I think it's really, you know, having a schedule, having a plan, posting it so that they know where it's at, whether it's on the child's phone, whether it's on the fridge, whether it's tacked to the front door, or the garage door before they walk out. That's like, grab your clothes, grab your granola bar, um, those types of things. So I think those are, will all be very helpful um, in helping them with, um, you know, their healthy fueling. Well, one thing I'm going to add to that is, you know, having spoke to gazillions of groups of like young athletes, you know, someone checks that they go to school, someone checks that they show up at their workout, they check that they show up at their practice. No one is like, darling, did you eat a snack this afternoon? (laughs) And so that is usually what goes by the wayside because they get in trouble or there's a consequence for not doing the other things. There's typically not a consequence, at least an immediate consequence to not fueling your body. And so that's where I'm like, you have to learn how to take that personal responsibility because especially at the younger ages when a sports dietitian really isn't present, that can be a real game changer, giving them an edge or not. They're all going to practice. They're all going to weights. They're all doing these things. And then they can learn to fuel their bodies adequately. It can really, I think, start to separate them a little bit from like an energy perspective, a performance perspective. Maybe it's, they may not be the fastest, but they last a lot longer. I mean, you know, I worked in professional sports and one of our star players in the NFL. Well, if you cramp at the beginning of the second quarter in an air-conditioned building, we have a problem. I don't care how good you are. If you can't play in the game, you're not that good. So you're not helping your team or whatever that is. So I think that that's important for youth athletes to think about is like, I, what am I, what can I do to make myself a tiny bit better or to set myself apart? And that's where I think nutrition can really start to kind of separate the ones that are really going to try and maybe excel versus some that aren't going to put in the effort. I think that's a really good point or from from both you guys about everything you know having that plan and having that checklist um but amy you're 100 right um a lot of times we as coaches and just educators in general um because we spend so much time around these kids we we do tend to pick up on the hangry or the the lethargic movement or whatever and you ask, you know, are you having a bad day? Have you eaten something? Um, I know a lot of coaches keep extra snacks. Um, heck, our principal uh, kept a drawer full of honey buns and other things. And, you know, um, unfortunately, some of my kids, uh, position kids, went to see him uh, just for that, which, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing, but they're also missing class. So 
then they dilly dally. And so there's that whole myriad thing, but he knew the importance uh, from being a, a former coach that I need to have these things on hand to help these kids. And yes, it's not the greatest. Um, but you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose the battles and, you know, unfortunately the things that are better tend to cost a little bit more than they should. Uh, and so you get the two for one sale at the grocery store or the convenience store for pop tarts and other little Debbie's, but it's $4 for, um, you know, a protein bar or three fifty for one of those complete cookies. And it's like, well, if you do a cost analysis, like, well, I can, I can technically eat more if I were to go buy the, the pop tarts, right. I can get four pop tarts for two bucks. Great. But the quality is not there. I'm not saying that the, the cookies, the best option, you know, but it's definitely better in terms of being more complete than just pop tarts in general. Um, so my, my follow-up, uh, I was going to ask about what parents can do better, but Christy, you did a really good job of addressing that standpoint in terms of just being a guiding factor. So what can we do in the school setting and not necessarily in the field house or the locker room, but just in school in general to do a better job of promoting the better fuel intake? Um, you know, I, I don't always know what's on the cafeteria menu uh sometimes it's probably really bad and sometimes it's probably really good um but you know those ladies and gentlemen that are back there are also just executing a job so i know that they care but how could the whole community in general do a better job of addressing just general nutrition so christy i'll start with you on that uh, i think that's a great question um as someone whose mother was an educator um, my entire life, she taught middle school and high school. And um, so I kind of have a, a, again, a different perspective in the fact that I see what went on behind the scenes in your education world, right? I see the PTO meetings. I see the, um, at least in Florida, every school was required to have a, um, health or wellness committee um, that parents sat on as well as educators. I don't know if that's the case here in Texas. Um, uh, but, you know, having a committee like that, and if we don't have that at the school starting one, it doesn't take much, right? It takes a champion and someone else to join the committee and you have a committee. So really, um, because schools lack resources, um, you know, being here in HISD, uh, you know, the, one of the largest school districts um, in the United States is not, you know, we have plenty of students that are below the poverty line um, and many of them play athletics. Um, and so I think it is important that we address it um, in the school setting and the fact that we have a committee or we we bring awareness to the principal, to the PTO. What kinds of things can we do? Is it find a local dietitian that can come in and talk? Maybe it's find, you know, um, a physician, a pediatrician to come in and talk um, about, you know, summertime, right? How, you know, making sure that we're, you know, avoiding heat stroke or, you know, those kinds of things going a little bit more in 
detail versus what you all provide, um, you know, guidance and, and education from the strength and conditioning and coaching side. So, um, you know, I might from if we had endless resources, I would say it's not a problem, but we don't have endless resources. So unfortunately, I think it's going to take a champion, whether it's a an educator starting the committee or a parent that starts the committee um, and then working together to kind of raise awareness and figuring out how to tap into local resources um, that can best help their students. Christy, Christy I, I agree with you, you know. Uh, having a committee, I think Missy, I saw you shaking your head. Uh, I don't think that those things exist in Texas and they probably don't in most places, maybe one or two. Um, but Amy, what do you think we can do at the, in the school community to better educate and better re better provide for, uh, you know, just not, not just student athletes, but kids in general. So I've spent a lot of my time speaking at middle schools and high schools to athletic periods and, you know, coaching groups and whatnot, you know, parent booster clubs. So I've seen a lot of what's happening. And, you know, I, I think that there's a few things. Number one, from the education standpoint, you know, a lot of kids don't even realize, you know, you're like, are there fruit and vegetables? No. I'm like, well, it's a federal law. There have to be fruits and vegetables on your cafeteria line. You may not be choosing them, but they have, they're available. And so like when I worked at TCU, a lot of times what I would do with teams is we would go eat a meal together in the dining hall. And we would walk through the line together and be like, where are you getting your carb? Where are you getting your protein? Oh, look, fruits and vegetables. One of the things I talk to middle school and high school athletes about all the time is there's milk and chocolate milk very inexpensively in every single school in America. And it's a source of high quality protein. They're getting calcium and vitamin D. That is a great way that they can get in extra nutrition. And so kind of educating them, whether it's a team walking through or like built, like showing what a plate should look like, like make your plate a third carbohydrate, a third vegetable, a third protein, so that they can see it on a plate. And when they go into the lunchroom, they might be able to replicate that. So from an education standpoint, I think that that's something we can do. From an actual school standpoint, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to be had in the world of school nutrition. And a lot of them are untapped. And so one of the biggest things that I see with youth athletes in school is they go to practice in the morning and they go straight to school. They don't go home and nine out of 10 do not bring breakfast. And so some of these kids are going to a workout at 6 a.m. and they don't eat lunch until 1 p.m., which is totally counterproductive to any type of recovery nutrition. And I've worked with certain schools that the cafeteria is like, oh, we can do brown bag breakfast and drop them off in brown bags outside of the locker room and not even charge sometimes, <laughs> or, you know, it'd be a, a very nominal amount for them to put a peanut butter and jelly, a thing of chocolate milk, a string cheese and an apple in a bag, which is, I would deem a very quality breakfast post-workout for an athlete. So maybe tapping into your actual school resources in who's your food service director there, talk to them what's available, because a lot of times if they're offering it in the cafeteria, it may not be an extra step for them to bag it up and bring it to athletics. Or, you know, some schools operate breakfast in the classroom where kids are able to eat breakfast in the classroom. So I think a lot of that is opening a door of communication between possibly the athletics department 
and the food service department to see what's actually available. And, you know, I've always told kids, even if you cannot bring breakfast, swing through and get two chocolate milks in the morning on your way to class after a morning workout. So I think definitely opening that door of communication there and then tapping into whether kind of like Christy said, whether it's a or, you know, like a, a group that school forms or booster clubs. I know every parent isn't going to be, but the parents that do want to help, they want to help. And most of them, from my experience, have they just don't know what to do. <laughs> They're like, give me a list of snacks. Give me a list of pregame meals. Like, we'll put it together. We'll potluck it. But what are we supposed to be doing? And so some of that might be making a list of snacks. And is it that they're restocking the locker room with granola bars and beef jerky sticks and apples, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, trying to tap into some of those resources that are probably available, but may not be being asked or maybe utilized as much as they could. And then seeing how those can work together to ideally help actually fuel the athletes. Cause to Christy's point, there are lots of low income so as I'd say with COVID, one of the interesting things is that it has made food way more available to way more kids in school. And so I think that there is an opportunity to utilize that in a few different spaces from an athletic standpoint for kids that are either like maybe on low free or reduced lunches or that are normal paying kids, but may not be have a chance to eat breakfast or lunch or whatever that is. So I think that that's a space where athletics could really tap into some of their resources a little bit more and kind of bridge the gap per se. Especially, um, I'm just going to add on to that, especially now post COVID, mm -hmm. um, there's rumor that, um, most school districts in the state of Texas will be offering breakfast free, mm -hmm. um, going forward. And even some lunches, um, in a lot of these school districts, they are, planning on potentially not charging for at all going forward. So I think Amy, you know, is spot on when she said, you know, all it takes is for the athletic department to ask that food service director, what are, what are the rules and regulations and how can we work together to provide our athletes, you know, a sound breakfast in the morning? Um, because unfortunately they do serve some pastries and things like that. Um, and, you know, Sometimes something's better than nothing, but we definitely want them to be fueled, um, you know, properly, especially if it's a game day or they've got, you know, a long practice day. Um, so with these COVID rules that have now changed um, going forward with school nutrition, I think, you know, now's the time to ask um, what, you know, what has changed for the food service department and, and how can you guys work together? So. So kind of segueing into, we've talked about fueling athletes, the topic of game day has come up. Um, Amy, I know some of your recommendations because I've eaten roughly 1000, um, pregame meals at hotels while traveling with TCU, many of which I planned. <laughs> um, yeah. So if, either or both of y'all can just give us some um, things that, because we're not traveling to a hotel where we can give them a specific menu and get that catered in. A lot of times, like for example, with us, some of our pregame meals are Jason's Deli. Some of our teams have a church that comes in and the church members are kind enough to cook and donate food. 
Um, but then you're having to give like some fairly specific parameters so they don't show up with hot dogs and hamburgers and fried chicken and that kind of stuff. Um, so just give us a, a rundown on some attainable meal, pregame meals for high school athletes. So I've worked in the world of the potlucks and the families and the churches and all of that doing it. And they, they do want to do what's right. So a little bit of uh, guidance is helpful. So typically I would say complex carbohydrate, that could be pasta, that could be rice, that could be potatoes. To your point at lunch, that could be a sandwich. I mean, I think a deli sandwich with some sun chips and fruits really a win of a meal. I've always said that. I mean, I don't know how many times I fed TCU baseball, like a sandwich with meat and cheese, sun chips and fruit after a game. Cause it's, it's salty. It's carby. I've got some protein, like it's a win and it's very simple. So you can make those at home or obviously you could get them from a, from a Jason's deli or a subway or wherever that is. So a complex carb, a lean protein, lean, meaning not fried, ideally. Typically, we want those pregame meals to be a little lower in fat and not really high in fiber, just because those can cause indigestion for some athletes. For real, and I don't mean don't have peanut butter. I mean, to your point, don't show up with fried chicken strips and French fries to the pregame meal because that fat can sit a little heavier in some of their stomachs, takes a little longer to digest, and it may can feel like the, what they tell me is it weighs them down. And so, a little lower in fat. You you know, some of your vegetables go more like the green beans, corn, carrots, salad, like don't bust out Brussels sprouts and cauliflower at a pregame meal. Typically that can cause some GI distress for some athletes. And then staying away from really creamy foods, spicy, garlicky, again, those can cause indigestion. So if you really stick in the space of like complex carb, lean protein, maybe a vegetable depending on the time of the day, fruit and plenty of fluid, you're usually going to do pretty good. So that could be pasta with meat sauce, green beans, roll fruit. That could be sandwich with meat and cheese, sun chips that are baked, you know, got salt on them for, you know, obviously getting some extra sodium for electrolytes and some fruit at bre breakfast. That could be scrambled eggs, toast or bagels, fruit, <clears throat> you know, even like turkey sausage or even yogurt parfaits or something like that. So it doesn't have to be really complex or really crazy, but it's just those basics of carbon protein and foods that kids will eat because I don't care how good your pregame meal is. If they don't like it, they're not going to eat it. And so really dialing in on what that, and every team is different. What you're going to feed football is not going to be what you feed volleyball. What you feed basketball is not going to be what you feed baseball. <laughs> so kind of dialing in of what is it that they really like get two or three of those meals on your little roster of meals and then rotate those for your pregame meals. I don't have too much to add. She's the expert on that. So she, she's done uh, many years of, of arranging and educating um, for, you know, various athletic teams. And, you know, I, I, second everything that she said. I think the big thing is really finding foods that kids will like. I think that's probably the biggest thing, especially for like your middle school and, and high school athletes. Um, but also, you know, um, maybe exposing them for some of our kids, like some of these, you know, if a church, you know, caters in or, you know, cooks and brings it in, um, sometimes having that vegetable might expose them to something that they haven't ever had before, um, which is kind of a cool experience to watch them try something that they've never had. And they might try it because they're, they're, you know, teammates trying it. 
Um, you, you know, I, I'd say you'd be shocked, but if, um, if you don't really actually talk with each and every individual kid about their eating habits and, um, you know, things that maybe they've avoided. I had one athlete that, um, was avoiding bananas because he thought it was a vegetable. Um, and, and this was a high schooler. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. This was a high schooler. He was avoiding bananas because he thought it was a vegetable. Um, and once I told him that it was actually a fruit, um, he got really excited and decided that he was going to put peanut butter on the banana. And that's what he was going to have for his snack. And that became part of his routine, but it was because nobody had really sat down and said, this is a fruit. This is a vegetable. I think there was a lot of assumptions that go on. Um, so, you know, I, it's just, it, it's interesting. So find things that kids like, I think that's, that's the important thing. I'm laughing really hard at that because I have had a kid in my office that we're like sampling foods with her and we gave her a single section of acuity and I was already ready because I knew she was going to spit it out on my desk. And so I just stuck a paper towel in front of her mouth and she spit it into a paper towel. So yes, picky eaters in athletics. Um, and Amy, you have worked with this athlete. She is not. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about <laughs> to this day. Girl, I like made it to college eating 10 foods. And I'm like, what? So mm-hmm. educate your parents to make their kids try stuff. And you know, this is, yes. you know, I will say one thing. I have a friend who's a second career dietitian, has three sons. And she once told me that she goes, sometimes I just tell my boys, everything you eat doesn't have to be your favorite. Sometimes you should just eat things because they're good for you. (laughs) I love that because I don't know why we think everything has to be like the most gourmet thing. And, you know, I tease young athletes because like as an adult, it's not cool not to like things like you, people want you to eat everything everywhere you go, whether it's happy hour or, you know, at a family meal, but as a kid, for some reason, it's totally okay to be, I don't like that. I don't like that. And sometimes they've never even tried it. So they say it takes like 10 different times to try something. And I'm like, if you're, if a kid hates broccoli, don't give them broccoli the same way 10 times, introduce it different ways. So if they like rice and cheese, put a little broccoli in it and then, you know, gradually increase the broccoli. So a lot of that is, I think kids just really like having to open up their mind. You know, I've talked to a lot of them and I'm like, okay, can really, really, can you just try this? Like, this is good for you. If you really don't like it, that can be okay. But I definitely think there is space for parents to do some education there and helping their kids like different foods, try different foods and incorporate them into their, you know, kind of daily routine. I love that. I think it's, uh, it's very important. I remember in high school, the team captains were the ones uh, that would get to kind of sample and figure out what did we want to do for the team meal. Um, and we would all sit in our multi-purpose room and they would do like the catered um, Boston market kind of section plate. So we had like chicken, you had a, a carb and then a vegetable. Um, so that was that was one of the cool things. I, I was never a team captain, so I didn't get that uh, perk. But I do remember, you know, hearing about, you know, the team captains going and you know, coach would take them over and Boston and then those restaurants want to help. Um, 
I think the other day I walked, I went into uh, Jason's deli and the, I guess he was the manager was like, uh, how are you guys set on your pregame meals this year? And I was like, because uh, I was wearing a, a, a Hawk football shirt, you know, not expecting that question. And I was like, uh, it's probably above my pay grade on that question. But uh, know, last year we just did, we did Slavsky's um, a lot. So we did the sandwich, chips, pickle, and, um, you know, cookie and Gatorade or water or whatever. Um, and that was the majority of our pregame meals. Uh, so, the, you know, the local restaurants want to be involved um, and you know we talked about reaching out to the food service person on campus or in the district um, but just talking to local restaurants and I know you know the other issue is always resource and who's going to pay for this and how much do we make the kids pay um, but a lot of times there's a lot of people that want to do things for the good of the community because at the end of the day it makes them look better to say, hey, we're we're the official, you know, or unofficial pregame meal of said school, and look at said school as playing in Jerry's World or, you know, at Macomb Stadium for baseball and winning it. Um, and you know, you can think about potentially having played a very small part, but a, a very important part uh, in terms of those those student athlete successes. So, we talked a lot about fueling when to fuel, how to fuel. Um, there are some kind of other topics that that um, kind of come up when it comes to adolescent, um, whether it's, you know, preteen, teen, or even, you know, early college. Um, and, and one of the bigger things is supplementation. Um, you know, one of the things I think that came from the lockdowns, pandemic, was that a lot more people became a lot more aware of the things that they were putting in their bodies in terms of helping themselves, right? The joke was, or the joke early on was the Flintstones vitamin that you ate in 1993 that's still, you know, lodged in the back of your recessed molar was going to kick COVID's tail or whatever. Um, you know, but I like, for me, I've always been a little more cognizant of like adding in vitamin D or taking multivitamin before COVID. And then when COVID came, I became even more like, we got to do this. And I got my wife on it a little bit better. Uh, you know, she's, she's uh, a 30 something year old child sometimes when it comes to eating and she'll remind me like it's too spicy. It's too smoky. It's this, that, or the other. So I have to modify my cooking for her. Um, sometimes it's it's a stretch, and other times it's not a big deal. Um, but you know th those things never go away. But the supplementation standpoint, particularly from the vitamin side of things, um, and then also the like creatine or protein powders, things like that. Things that like as coaches, Missy and I can't necessarily we can't promote anything right? Based on, on our UIL state legislator type stuff, but we can try to educate in the best possible way. And a lot of times, you know, like I, we were talking before, uh, Missy's question, Missy's answer to a lot of stuff was I'll defer to the experts. So you guys are the experts and, and Christy, you see, you know, on the negative side of things a lot in your 
your side of work and Amy, you see it from the education standpoint. So uh, I'd, I'd like to, each of you to just kind of talk about that sort of thing in general, whether it's vitamins, it's uh, over the counter supplements, you know, however deep you guys want to go on that. It's totally up to you. Um, Christy, I'll start with you first. Um, I love this topic because it comes up all the time and I'm going to defer supplements and, and creatine really to Amy, because I think she, um, can probably dive more into that than I can. But the one thing that I, that I tell our athletes and, and really all of my patients and families is that any supplement that they buy is not regulated by the FDA. So what is on that label is not necessarily what is in that product. And what is in that product is not necessarily on that label. So you're always taking a chance. And especially if you or a family member has an underlying health condition that may be taking some sort of medication, um, that supplement, if it does not necessarily have all of the ingredients listed, could potentially interact with that medication and have adverse health outcomes. Uh, sadly enough, um, I can say that at our institution and other um, large pediatric institutions across the United States, over the past five years, we have actually had um, athletes come in with acute liver failure um, due to supplements that they have taken, most of them due to green tea extracts. Um, at unsafe levels. Um, many of them have required liver transplants. Um, so that's a huge risk that that you're taking. And that is definitely a conversation that needs to be had between the athlete, the parent, and their healthcare provider. Um, their healthcare team needs to know that they're taking some sort of supplement. Um, I had one athlete come in, he came to see us, um, for diarrhea, that was nonstop. Couldn't couldn't control the diarrhea, no matter what he was doing, was getting, you know, an endoscopy, which is like a scope where they go down and, and they look from above and below and they were taking biopsies and everything came back normal. And, and the physician said, Christy, I need you to come in. I need you to talk to them. Coming to find out he had gone to a local shop, went in, said, I, I'm trying to build muscle. You know, I play defensive line. They gave them, they recommended a bunch of things and come to find out after researching these particular supplements, the side effects are they cause diarrhea. So we stopped the supplements and the diarrhea stopped. So, you know, it's, it's things like that, that is, um, you know, really, like I said, Amy can really go into the supplement side of things, but I do have to say, because I see the severity of it, meaning my kid needed a liver transplant. Um, totally healthy child, did not have any underlying medical condition, was taking a supplement solely to get that extra gain and ended up needing a liver transplant. So I caution families. Secondly, that Flintstone vitamin, still always a good thing, right? Um, my husband takes it. <laughs> uh, my patients take it. Um, it's, a, it's actually a really great, complete multivitamin. Um, and so, you know, that's always, that's always a good thing. But I think, um, especially for our athletes, vitamin D, uh, we know most people are walking around vitamin D deficient. Then on top of that, you have athletes that maybe, you know, 
in a contact sport, right, where they're going to be at increased risk for, um, you know, maybe potential injury, you know, bone injuries. Um, so really making sure that we're taking that vitamin D, um, you know, and looking at how much vitamin D you're taking. So the, the typical teenager should be taking about 800 international units of vitamin D per day. Um, usually I tell people, you know, supplementing up to about 2000 international units per day for, for an overall healthy, um, you know, teenager should be okay. Um, however, if there is any kind of underlying condition, whether it's obesity, asthma, um, intestinal conditions, um, endocrine, so maybe they've got type two diabetes. I know, um, a lot of our football players, um, you know, come in and they're like, I want to be I have to be big because I'm on the defensive line, you know, um, they have type two diabetes, um, they are vitamin D deficient. So, um, that is probably, you know, a general multivitamin such as the Flintstone or a vitamin D, you know, vitamin D supplement. Um, I think you can't go wrong with, um, other than that, I definitely caution, um, with supplements and, and I'll, I'll turn that over to Amy. No, that's great. I've been, you can't see me, but I've been shaking my head the whole time Christy was talking. So I'm going to talk supplements, two forms, more like the vitamin and mineral world. And then I'm going to go to more to what I would call sports supplements per se. So, you know, the one thing that I have noticed uh, working with young athletes is 9.5 out of 10 need to improve their diet. <laughs> they need to improve the food that they eat, the quality of the food that they eat. And when they're going to, you know, whatever supplement store to get as a replacement instead of a supplement, that's where I really start to have an issue with it. And so I first always encourage kids to try to get your nutrients from food. It's because it's giving you other stuff. It's not just giving you vitamin C. You're usually getting, you know, you're getting antioxidants, you're getting fiber, you're getting protein, all of these other things that are associated with food. If there is a food group that a, an athlete doesn't like, prefer, or is allergic to, then my recommendation is usually you need to look at that food group and the main nutrients that it provides and see, number one, do I get it from somewhere else? If I don't, then I probably need to supplement with that. Dairy is one of the best, you know, I think examples of that. For athletes that do not consume any form of dairy, then I'm usually recommending them take a calcium and vitamin D supplement because they're developing bone and laying down bone. And we know that, you know, girls put on 90% of their bone by age 17, boys by age 22. And so you're missing a peak window there. So that would be an important thing. If you have an athlete that's vegan, I'm going to say, okay, well, are you getting your iron and B12 sources from somewhere else? If you're not, then we probably need to look at supplementing with that. So supplementing where things might be missing. I agree with all of you that a, a multivitamin sure not going to hurt anybody, uh, definitely could help. And vitamin D really at the top of the list, we know that people don't get enough of that for sure. But for the average everyday vitamin and mineral, kids need to learn how to eat appropriately is my real personal opinion there. Obviously, there are some with health conditions and things where they might need other stuff. A lot of times for female athletes, 
We will look at them and evaluate their iron, you know, their iron levels or ferritin, which is stored iron in the blood. Uh, lots of endurance athletes do need to take iron, which thus usually makes them need to take vitamin C with that as well to improve absorption. Uh, typically, you don't see that in male athletes as much more female, but it's very common in runners and endurance athletes. So from the vitamin mineral standpoint, I'm going to always encourage food first. Number two, I'm going to say, if you don't need a certain food group, <clears throat> you might consider supplementing the nutrients that might, you might be missing. And then number three, taking the vitamin D or a multivitamin, whether it's a gummy or a vitamin, whatever that is, is going to be, I, I think, fine. And something that, you know, it's, I guess it's like your insurance policy. When I transition over to like the sports supplement world, where I would put all the creatines and all, all the things, all the things. Uh, I was shook my head the whole time in Christy's conversation because I actually had a kid that I got him when he was 16, very much into the aesthetics of his sport and what he looked like and being very lean. <clears throat> Saw him a few times, very resistant to my nutrition information. Four years later, calls me, comes again and again. And he said, well, I went into liver failure and almost died. And it was because of a supplement he was taking and it uh, was caught, it sent him straight into liver failure. And you ended up about a wake up call for a kid. And to Christie's point, supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So we don't know like that what's in the product is what's on the label and vice versa. There are third party supplementation groups, NSF certified for sport and informed choice that I would give a 99.9% .9 chance that you're probably going to be okay, that what's on the product, what's in the product is on the label and vice versa. And so I always encourage athletes that if you're going to take a supplement, do your due diligence and make sure that you're consuming one that is NSF certified for sport and or informed choice. NSF being a little more gold standard simply because they test for more things. But for most athletes under the age of 18, unless it's a protein powder to make smoothies or a post-workout shake, I am typically not recommending supplements. As I mentioned, like you can do so much with food and most athletes have a long way to go before they're ever eating an optimal enough diet to actually fuel performance. And the reality of the situation is you cannot take a group of 116 year old boys and give them a supplement to do research and see if something bad happens. You can do that to adults. You cannot do it to kids. And so we do not have quality research that says, oh, sure, beta alanine works great for 30 year old endurance athletes. Well, I don't know what it does to a 15 year old. We don't have any peer reviewed research that shows that. And so I just think that it's a space. There are times we use supplements. I mean, in college and professional sports, I have used them, but they're used as a supplement, whereas many athletes try to look to them as a replacement. You know, they're like, I need a pre-workout. Why? I don't have energy in the morning when I go to my practice. What did you eat before you went? Nothing. Cool. There's also this thing called a bagel and water, and you'd be surprised what that could do. And so to me, many of them use it as a replacement. So while there are kids that take them and parents that allow them to, if you're going to take a supplement, it needs to be third-party tested to ensure that. But other than a protein powder, you will never hear me recommending an athlete 18 and under take a supplement. Protein powders are what they are. They're nowadays, I think, pretty clean supplements. I still recommend them being third-party tested, but they are a very good way to get protein in situations where convenience is an issue. So a smoothie or a post-workout shake as long as it's third-party tested, throwing that in with some milk and fruit, I think is great. But other than that, 
diet, see how good you can do with diet. I think you'd, people would be a well surprised to see what good hydration, good nutrition, good rest, and this, the discipline of doing that over and over again can actually do for their performance. So you mentioned in their iron deficiency in female athletes, are there any other specific challenges that you typically encounter with female athletes? Um, I, I, Amy, I'll have you go first since you're unmuted right now. So yes, uh, you know, a lot of female athletes, unfortunately, believe that thinner is always better. And I've seen lots of athletes get really thin at the sake of performance. Like they got smaller and they got slower. They got smaller and they couldn't jump as high. I and mean, I've seen it in college sports. I've seen it in high school sports. And so many of them think uh, from a aesthetics perspective that thinner is always better. And I would argue it's not. Many of them lose muscle mass when they do that. So really educating on, you know, body image, I think, and, and fueling your body. Many girls are more likely to purposely skip meals Sometimes that's related to what they want to look like and they purposely skip meals and they're walking into workouts under fueled and they wonder why they can't see results and they wonder why and they don't feel good or whatever. And so I think that that's something to really pay attention to with female athletes when they start becoming vegetarians and vegans, while some of them do it straight from, you know, a really good preference standpoint. There are times that they're doing that to cut out food groups so that they don't have to consume food. <laughs> and so sometimes when I see that, I do a lot of probing questions to make sure that's not a baseline for disordered eating and what and what might be taking them that direction. So from a <clears throat> more habit standpoint, those are the things that I see skipping meals, aesthetics, you know, developing, creating all sorts of reasons for why they're not going to eat certain foods or food groups. From a nutrition, like dietary supplement standpoint, iron tends to be an issue, especially for endurance athletes. And a lot of that for the male coaches out there is depending on when that girl starts her menstrual cycle, that affects that. And so, and don't just look at their iron, look at their ferritin levels. Ferritin is stored iron in the blood, especially endurance athletes. Their ferritin will be dropping, plummeting, and you have no idea looking at iron. So looking, you don't want to just blatantly recommend iron. You need to have a lab value that tells you that it's low or that the ferritin is low because iron can cause nauseousness. It can cause, contribute to constipation. And so really looking at that level also looking at calcium and vitamin D because a lot of girls in effort of what I said a minute ago, trying to be thinner or whatever, they stop drinking milk and they're not going to eat cheese because they think it's fattening and all of these different things. And that can have a significant consequence in relationship to laying down bone. So those I would say, and I'll let Christy chime in because she sees, uh, you know, I mean, uh, to your point, I've seen so many athletes that have some type of issue, you know what I mean? Some type of health issue, but I'll let her chime in on that. But those would be, I think some of the standard things that I have seen across the board with younger athletes. And a lot of it is girls are going through puberty in middle school and high school and their body is changing and they have body fat where they didn't have body fat before. And sometimes there is a period of time I've learned balancing that and then learning like, oh, I used to eat, you know, Kit Kats and chips all day. Now, all of a sudden I can't do that. And we see it in college, obviously, like, you know, 20, age 20 to 22, they're all like, what just happened? But you see it some in high school. And so I think a lot of that is education 
and again, more quality choices um, instead of letting them go down some of the habit choices path that they go down that ultimately can lead to some negative dietary patterns long-term. Christy, I'll let you chime in. Yeah. And I mean, I 100% agree with, with what Amy said. I, I would also add on to there that one of the big concerns that I see regularly in our teenage girls um, and unfortunately in our teenage um, girl athletes is um, this negative um, connotation around carbohydrates um, and um, girls trying to avoid, you know, carbs um, and not really fully understanding what an appropriate carbohydrate is, how their body needs it um, to fuel their performance and to just live their everyday life. Um, you need carbohydrates. Your brain needs carbohydrates to think. Um, and so that is one of the things that I fight regularly um, with trying to get my patients to understand um, and our, our athletes to understand. This typically really kind of um, being here in Texas is really interesting because you find, I find it a lot right around the 14, 15 year of age. And I started to think about it, come to find out it comes down to when the quinceañeras are going to be and wanting that aesthetic look um, for their big, you know, coming out and, and reveal. Um, and that's really when they kind of start cutting back the carbohydrates and um, coming in and saying, interestingly enough, I have abdominal pain, I have bloating, I, I'm constipated. Well, they're constipated because they're not eating enough fiber. They're constipated because they're not drinking enough fluid. Um, so really, I think for females um, is really that we need to demystify or demyth this carbohydrate um, has a negative, you know, kind of aura around it um, and really turn that more into a positive for the female athlete and help them realize how they can use that to their advantage. Um, you know, oatmeal and, you know, whole grain bagels and those types of things um, can be really beneficial and provide us essential nutrients and those types of things. But I think that besides everything that Amy said, I, I would, that is definitely the one thing that um, our female athletes, we definitely um, are really kind of seeing on a regular basis. In addition to um, now with COVID, we have a lot of um, disordered eating um, amongst our athletes. Um, really, it really just kind of bloomed up out of you know, I saw it regularly, but really it just kind of took off during COVID. Um, still trying to figure out exactly why that that is, but um, it, it's definitely become more of an issue. Um, and kids coming in with more abdominal pain, more constipation, more um, nausea and those types of things. And a lot of that comes down to not um, providing their body with what they need, being fiber and, and fluid. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think, you know, that those would be the main things that I would add on to what Amy said. I definitely agree with you on that, Christy. And I think with the COVID thing, you know, we start to see disordered eating so much when people feel like they're out of, something's out of control. 
And in the past year, a lot of things were out of control. Athletes, didn't, a lot of them didn't get to play their sports. Yeah. They didn't get to do. And I think that uncertainty of all of that makes them want to grab on to something to like keep something intact. And that's often a lot of times like in college, that's where I would really see it a lot. They come to college, everything changed. It's new people, new coaches. And so like the one thing they can get a hold of is like what they eat and or don't eat. And that's where I think, yeah, definitely you start to see more of those disordered eating behaviors and the uncertainty, they tend to flare up a little bit more. So I agree a hundred percent on that. I think those are spot on points. Um, you know, the other, the other kind of elephant in the room when it comes to not necessarily disordered eatings, but just aesthetic issues in general is the scale. And if you're in a sport that's a non weight class sport, so not wrestling and not uh, powerlifting um, and any other sports that require that weight class, um, if you are male or female, because you see it on both sides, Chris, you've talked about um, the defensive lineman. I feel somewhat attacked because I am a defensive line coach. I'm kidding. But, um, you know, my biggest deal for my guys is do I want the big jug butt plugging up the middle gaps? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, how big that kid is is worthless if they cannot move well. I would take a smaller person that's more athletic over the big lumbering lurch because I know at some point lurch is going to tap out. But that other kid is Energizer Bunny. Let's go. Like the, the, the wealth and playbook is wide open for the Energizer Bunny. It's very small for lurch. So <clears throat> both male and females in general struggle with the scale. So then my question would be, how should we as coaches educate kids in relation to what this, what the function of the scale should be or how should it affect them in terms of what they should plan to do when it comes to eating, sleeping and hydrating? Um, I'll let you go first, Amy. Definitely a hard topic. So coming from a dietitian who does not own a scale at her house, <laughs> I am, I weigh once a year when they go to the doctor, my skinny jeans will tell me real fast if I'm messing something up. That's what I have to say about that. Never been a huge fan of telling especially young athletes to get on a scale because the reality is if they have muscle mass, they are going to weigh more than their friend that does not. And, you know, I tell people think of like a piece of beef and think of like, you know, a, something of like cottage cheese, you know, beef is really dense. And so protein takes up less space, it's dense. And so by default, athletes will typically weigh more than an average person. So I am really not a fan of ever having them get on a scale because then you can watch athletes lose weight and they're losing muscle and water mass, you know, weight and like how that's totally counterproductive. So especially the world of female sports, rarely are they trying to gain weight. They're usually trying to lose it. And so I like to try to put the emphasis, they always have a weight goal. And I usually try to take it like 
threefold, like what's your, okay, you can have a weight goal, but what's your performance goal and what's the health goal? Like why? Oh, well, I really want to run faster. Okay. Well, why don't you run faster? Well, I really don't have very much energy at practice. Okay. Let's go there. Why don't we have very much energy? How can we make you run faster? So taking like off, like just a weight goal and going, you can have a goal, a body composition goal, because in sport, the reality is in some sports it's necessary. And sometimes they do move better when they're a little lighter or like Missy plays volleyball, jump higher sometimes when you're a little lighter, but if you lose too much weight, it's counterproductive. And so I think looking at it from maybe you have a body composition goal, but a performance goal and a health goal. How are those related? And if ultimately the goal is to run faster, it may not necessarily mean being lighter. So I think from that aspect, especially with female athletes, it's important. Male athletes, I've spent more time in my life putting weight on people than I have taking it off working in college and professional sports. And so, you know, even though they could probably eat you out of house and home with the calories that they can consume, I'm always trying to recommend those high quality calories so that they're gaining lean muscle mass. And to your point over there, that they're not just putting on tons of body fat, which does not make them faster. And so I think that there's an education component there, whether they're trying to lean out, which is the term I like to use instead of lose weight or gain weight. Like, let's make sure we're doing it the right way. You're fueling your body and that you're putting in quality calories so that you're still able to get optimal performance. Because to me, the scale can say whatever it says. It's usually not an indicator of performance in my experience. And sometimes what they think is great ends up negative and what they think is negative ends up great. <laughs> I've seen girls gain 10 pounds of muscle and get faster. So, you know, there's a, a cut 22 to both. So I try to take the emphasis off of that, put it more on a health and performance standpoint. Christy, I'll let you. Um, I don't own a scale either. Um, and in fact, when I have to get on the scale at the doctors, I get on backwards, um, because I don't want to know what that number is. Um, part of that may have been, you know, my background of, you know, being in the artistic sports. Um, but I, it's not something that, um, I have a goal number, right? So one of the things that I really tell our, um, athletes is, Ultimately, the scale should should provide you one thing, and that is if you're trying to calculate your sweat loss and for hydration purposes only, um, your your weight pre, um, especially with like if you have two day you know two a day practices in the Texas heat or you're outside, you know weighing before weighing after that's going to help you determine how much you need to consume fluid wise to help you be hydrated, um, and prevent dehydration. And, um, that's really ultimately the only thing that the scale should be telling you other than that, as coaches, as, um, you know, counselors and educators and healthcare professionals, we really should be talking about, um, you know, strong and, and powerfulness and feeling confident in your body and, um, you know, in a healthy way. Um, and that, that is a, that is different for every single person. The definition of health for one person may be very different than the definition of health for somebody else. Um, and so what, are, what are their family's goals? Um, again, just like Amy, if I go try on skinny jeans, that's going to tell me, you know, if I'm overdoing something or I'm not, you know, I'm not consuming enough. Um, so really 
you know, I think athletes tend to be a little bit more in tune with their body. And, um, as we get older, um, just like, you know, when you're a baby and you're, you're feeding a child, their automatic cue is going to be to turn their head or push away when they're done. Somehow along the way, we've learned to turn that off and we eat what's in front of us because it's there, right? And there's starving kids somewhere and they, they're not, you know, whose grandma told them that, right? Or I don't know, maybe it was just mine, but you know, they're starving kids somewhere. You have to eat this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, we've managed to turn that off. So we somehow need to tap back into that and really educate the kids. Yes, there's a place for the scale, which is if we're trying to calculate hydration. Um, other than that, we need to, are we, are we improving our outcomes? Are we getting faster? Are we getting stronger? Um, are you, how are you feeling, conf, you know, with your body? Um, are you, how are you moving? Are your joints hurting? Are they not hurting? Um, those types of things. But for me, I see the scale as a hydration tool and that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's so funny. I was with my five and a half year old niece over the weekend and my, she was at my parents' house and my mom made her breakfast and she ate like the full breakfast she normally eats. And she looks, she has a two and a half year old brother. She says, well, is Levi going to eat all of his breakfast? I said, are you still hungry? She's like, yeah, I'm going to need some more. And so my mom gives her more eggs, you know, whatever. She eats them. And I was like, do you need more? She goes, no, I think I'm good. I said, okay. And like, if you, I just wish like watching her, like she was hungry. So she ate more. And when she was done, she stopped. I'm like, I wish we could all go back and capture that because they just know if they're hungry, they're hungry. And if they're not, they're not. And it's such a cool thing to watch at that age, but we definitely lose it as we get older. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's really good good advice. I do own a scale. I don't know if I'll be able to get rid of it. Um, I have this idea of maybe competing in a powerlifting meet, so I'll have to kind of make like next year after football. Um, so I thought about okay, well, I need to potentially lean out for for a certain weight class. Um, not that I expect to win, um, because it doesn't matter if I drop or stay where I'm at. I'm going to be smoked by everybody else because of the way that they have time to train versus what I have. So I'm not worried about that standpoint, but there's, you know, the aesthetic side. Um, <clears throat> but one of the interesting things that, uh, you know, I follow uh, Mark Bell. Um, he's a professional powerlifter out in California. And, uh, you know, at the, at, through my studying for the certified strength conditioning coach deal, one of the, one of the things that's in the nutrition chapter is 3,500 calorie deficit by the end of the week results in one pound loss. Um, and that's 500 calories a day. Um, I think was the, is, is what the math equates to. Right. And there's only one way to lose weight and that's being a caloric deficit. And there's only one way to gain weight and that's be in a caloric surplus. All right. It doesn't matter how you get there. It's the only way to do it. So for him, he was like, I don't track the macros. Um, I just step on the scale. If I weighed less than I did, then I was in my deficit. If I weigh more then I was in a surplus and I just, so he's like, that's, that's the only way I gauge it. Um, he's cognizant of what he eats. He does, but he doesn't necessarily measure out what he eats. Um, he understands his output in terms of effort through training and then, you know, 
I think some of these fitness tractors skew things, right? People get so caught up in closing all their rings or meeting all their steps. Um, but there's not a great accurate measure on what your actual output is. Um, you know, cause then the other side is, well, I've burned five, 600 calories. I can have the extra drink at happy hour because I worked it off already. Or, um, I can have the extra Chick-fil-A biscuit or whatever. Um, you know, because I've, I've worked it off already or, or I, I know how long it takes me to burn that number of calories on the treadmill, or whatever. So we kind of, to you guys' point about turning that, um, sensory off as a child, I think we try to rationalize our decision makings as adults, specifically when it comes to food. Um, and Amy, your point about COVID created so much uncertainty. We were grasping for things to, that we could control and, and food was the easiest thing to control because you either had enough in your pantry or you didn't, or you either got tired of your snacks and food and you figured out what restaurant was open. Um, so it just created all these uncertainties. And, you know, you saw a lot of people go one of two ways. They either went really up or really down in COVID in terms of weight and, and eating habits. So what I want to do in terms of closing out is just kind of uh, let both you and uh, Amy and Christy kind of just anything that you have a passion for in regards to, um, you know, nutrition and, and such, I'll just want you to just take a minute and kind of talk that out. And then Missy, if there's anything that you want to close out with. Um, and if you would, uh, ladies, um, after you're done with your, you know, whatever close out, what's the best way to get a hold of you if, if somebody wanted to reach out and, and ask more questions after this episode. So I'll start with the Christy, uh, then Amy and Missy will close us out. Gosh, is there something I'm really passionate about? <laughs> it's a loaded question, Peter. Um, well, I'm passionate about Florida State football. Um, does that count? Um, but uh, for... Yeah, it does. <laughs> for, um, I think, like my take-home message would be, one as Amy, you know, kind of stated earlier on, start with foods, learn to eat the foods, um, to fuel yourself. Um, you know, eat those complex carbohydrates, the fruit, um, dairy, meat, whatever it might be. Um, hydrate well. Uh, I think this is one of the big things for me. Um, one, because dehydration can cause so many symptoms, right? You can be de you can think that you're hungry, but you're actually dehydrated. Um, you can be constipated because you're dehydrated. Um, you know, you can, it, you know, if you're severely dehydrated and end up in renal failure. So teaching hydration is really important to me and really getting, um, athletes and just teenagers in general to understand that it is a marathon of hydration, um, drinking and chugging a glass of water or a bottle of water to make your pee clear. That's not hydrating you, right? That's making your pee clear. 
This is something that needs to occur over a long period of time. Um, you know, starting as soon as you wake up in the morning, making sure that we drink water, drink water during the day, making sure we're drinking enough before practice, during practice, after practice, um, and continuing to do it once you go home. Um, I think that's probably one of my big things is really making sure that you're staying hydrated. Again, chugging the water bottle just because you know that having clear pee means that you're hydrated, that, that doesn't equate to hydration. Um, so this has got to be something that happens over time. And, um, you know, really reaching out to um, a professional, um, such as a registered dietitian, um, if you have you know, you want to go in depth with nutrition questions, um, seeking that person out. And if you don't know where to turn to, ask your pediatrician or your family doctor. They most definitely can point you in the right direction. Um, I know Amy can point you in the right direction. I can point you in the right direction. But, um, you know, setting those health goals for um, individual persons and individual families um, writing those out, um, having them set, you know, it as a plan, um, can really help make a big difference. So I think those are, would probably be the things that, that I would say. Yes. All, all of that, <laughs> you know, I would, one of the things I think in nutrition, be it nutrition and sports nutrition is when people think about eating better or quote unquote, eating healthy, they always think about what they can take out or should take out. And I'm going to argue a lot of it's what you can put in and what you can swap in. And a lot of athletes could do a lot of space. Not that you can't have this or you can't have that, but is there a way you could swap in something that maybe is a little more nutrient rich, that'll have more fiber, more protein, more vitamins, more minerals. So instead of looking at nutrition from a, what do I have to take out? Looking at what nutrient rich foods can I swap or add in is I think key for athletes. And then secondly, you know, I always tease athletes about the concept of the car. I used it at the beginning. Most athletes want to be a race car and they fuel their body. Like it's a 1970 beat up Pinto. And I'm like, if you want to be a race car, drive like a race car, you know, last like a race, you got to fuel like a race car. You would not put cheap gas and off brand oil in your race car. You would put the right stuff in it so that you could make it last, run the best, look the best, all of the above. And it's the same thing with the body. The better quality fuel you put in, typically the better performance you're going to get out and the better you're typically going to, or the easier you're typically going to reach your goals. Nutrition doesn't fix everything, but it can help a lot of things. And so in the world of sports, fuel your body like you were a race car. That's the way I like to talk to athletes about it because you would put the best fuel, you know, that you can put in there and do the small things consistently, eat breakfast consistently, drink water consistently, do your post-workout shake consistently, small things done consistently add up to a very positive result. Typically not this big dramatic thing that you do. It's doing the littles over and over and over again, just like stretching, right? Just like whatever it is, you know, you want to do those things consistently. So for myself, I, I do a lot of sports nutrition. My website is amygoodsonrd.com. And then Missy and Peter both know this, but I actually wrote a sports nutrition playbook in COVID, seven years in the making. I've been trying to do this and it's a flip book. So it's a small 
four and a half by five and a half inch flip book. It's all in charts and bullet points. The design of it is to be for the middle school and high school athlete, their parents and their coaches. So simple, easy to use information that you can have in a weight room, a suburban. And so re reaching out to resources like, like that, and there's so many good sports nutrition books out there, you know, having a playbook, like we would have in sports, a playbook, you have a guidebook. So having a nutrition playbook so that you know what you should be doing on a regular basis, whether you're in the drive-thru at the grocery store, traveling at home or in a locker room, those things are key. And just, again, doing those small things consistently. So for finding me, amygoodsandrd.com and then Instagram, amyg.rd. I forgot to add mine. Amy, congratulations on your book. That's very exciting. I can't Thank wait to see you. it. Um, in order to reach me, uh, people can reach me on my Twitter handle, which is nutrition underscore king. And then um, email is always a great place um, to reach me, which is klking, K-I-N-G, at texaschildrens.org. And I will be happy to answer questions. So I think um, just my closing thoughts on nutrition, a way that I relate this as a strength coach um, to athletes, a lot of times people want to get really wrapped up in their pregame meal, um, which certainly it's important. But the reality is, is that if we haven't taken care of the other, however many meals there are in a week, the pregame meal is really irrelevant. Um, and that just kind of ties into uh, and how I relate that to athletes is we're not going to take one shoot around before a game or one serve and pass or one walk through and expect that we're going to perform well in a game. We're going to have to have multiple practices over the course of weeks, months, years in order to be successful in that game. And they all understand that. Like they think it's ridiculous that you would just take your warm up or just take that one hour session before a game. And yet that's exactly how they treat their nutrition. Um, so just my phrase that I love to use is full-time consistency beats part-time intensity. I think that that uh, relates to nutrition as well. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. Really hope you enjoyed today's guest. Don't forget to leave a like and a review. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts wherever you get your podcast fix from. Ratings and reviews really help us reach more viewers. Peace out. Have a nice day. Be the change you want to see in the world.